right, good morning to you. How you doing this morning, church? Good morning. It's great to be with you this weekend. As Pastor Brad said, my name is Dale Schaefer. I'm currently district superintendent here on the Florida District. It's kind of crazy. Y'all have had me here twice this year, and I think once by video. You know, I feel like the first time someone invites you, that's kind of like an obligation, right? You kind of have to have the new guy in town over. But then you get a second invite, you're like, well, maybe they like me. Maybe we get along okay. And you get a third invitation back, and and I feel like I'm a part of the family, brother. So thanks for uh, the invite to open the scriptures with you. If you have a Bible with you this weekend, um, we're in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. I promise I'm not going to read every verse so no one gets stressed out that we're going to be here till 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We'll get out on time today. But Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. And I want to talk to you about the topic of what it means to be a bold church. I found this out that there are bold Christians and then there are kind of like some timid Christians. There's, there's bold churches and then there's kind of some, some timid Churches. I found the same things kind of true with, with people. There's kind of some bold people, and there's kind of some, some timid people. A few years ago, I'm not going to show a video of it, because apparently uh, the PGA blocked our Facebook stream in the first service because I did, so I'm not doing that in the second service. But a few years ago, in like 2017, at the Arnold Palmer Invitational over in Orlando, uh, in the middle of the tournament, there was a gator that was sitting on the, the sixth hole. And as uh, Smiley Kaufman, one of the golfers, he was kind of having a bad day, he's, he's walking along down the fairway, and he sees the gator as he's getting close to it. The moment he sees it, he just kind of jumps up like this and runs away. <laughs> and then another guy's coming along. He's an Australian fella, and he, he sees it. And, and, I mean, without missing a beat, he walks up on this thing, and he just slaps it on the tail, and it jumps in the water. And I thought to myself, you know, I want to be the second guy here. I want to be that second guy. And, and I think there's kind of churches like that. When, when challenges and adversity come their way, there are some people that they see the challenge, and some churches, they see the challenge, and they're like, ah, I'm not going anywhere, anywhere near that. And then, then there are churches. They, they see the challenge. They, they may feel a little bit of fear, but they push through that fear, and they move towards the challenge. And, and I want to encourage you to be that second kind of church, the one that moves towards the challenge, the one that doesn't run away from a challenge, the one that brings the gospel to bear even when it's difficult and a little bit scary. I want to talk to you about being a bold church this weekend. Now, when I say the word church, I'm curious what comes to your mind. What do you think of when I, when I say church? You know, for some folks, when you say church, they, they think of going to a church building, right? And so you see a building maybe like this, and you say, yeah, that's what I think of when I, when I think of church. Or, or maybe you're one of the folks that when, when someone says church, you think of a church worship service, right? And you go and you sing some songs, and you hear the scriptures being opened up, and a preacher that preaches the word, and maybe you pray together, and you think of the activity that we do when the church gathers together. But I think you know this. I'd say even up until the last 10, 20 years or so, it was pretty common to default to think of a church building when we think of church but we know from the scriptures that the church is so much more than a building it's not a place that the church is a people 
It's all of those who have been made new in Jesus Christ, who have been filled with the Spirit, and now they are gathered as the body of Christ. But they are not only the church when they gather, the church is also the church when the church scatters, when it leaves the building. So yes, we gather as the church, but we also scatter as the bold church of Jesus Christ into neighborhoods and into workplaces, into businesses all around the community. And some of us even scatter outside of the state of Florida and around the world. Some of you right now that are worshiping with us online, you are scattered and dispersed all over the world today, and you are called to be salt and light in the environment where the Lord has placed you and planted you. And when you're in that space, outside these walls, how are you going to live? And my prayer is that you will live not, not timid, not fearful, but you will live bold and alive to everything that God has for you. I want you to be a bold church. The church is not a, a building. It's not a place. It's not an organization, an institution, or a denomination. The church is a people of God who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit who carry the movement and the message of Jesus everywhere that they go. And today, because of the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the promise of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is being fulfilled through His church today. In Acts chapter 1, the, the Holy Spirit hasn't shown up yet. Jesus is preparing to ascend to the Father, and He gives this promise to His church. This is what He says in Acts 1, verse 8. You, you will receive power. You'll be bold. You'll be courageous. You'll get power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me, not just in your neighborhood, but everywhere you go. This word witnesses is a really interesting word. In Greek, the word witness, and you've got to be bold to understand what it means to witness, because in Greek, the word witness is the word martros. What English word might you think we get from the Greek word for witness, martros? What word do you think? Martyr. You'll be my martyrs. Everyone's like, okay, I'm walking off of that one. You'll be my witnesses. You'll be bold. You'll be courageous. You won't be filled with fear. You'll be filled with faith and power that comes from God. And you'll be my witnesses everywhere you go. You'll tell people everywhere about me. In Jerusalem, yes, right where you live. But you're going to spread outside of your community. You're going to move into the neighborhoods that are surrounding this area. You're going to move into Judea. You're going to go to Samaria, the place where you, you would never normally go, but now God's going to call you to go to that space. That place that other people avoid, now you are empowered by the Spirit to enter spaces that nobody else has the courage to enter or is afraid to enter or thinks that they're going to somehow become unclean if they enter that space. No, because the Spirit has empowered you, you will enter spaces that nobody else would enter, even to the ends of the world. That's a bold church. My experience has been, I've been in the church, well, most of my life, I walked away from faith for a season in my teenage and early 20s years. But my experience has been this, is that there are kind of safe, play it safe, timid churches, and then there are some bold churches. I wish we had more bold churches. I wish we had more bold churches. Safe churches, it just kind of, I describe them like this. They're, they're churches that focus on keeping people rather than being bold and focusing on reaching people. They're more concerned about who they might lose if they make a decision than they are about who they might reach if they would make a decision. You know, safe churches, timid churches, they avoid controversial. We don't want to offend any one pastor. We've got to be careful what we say. 
Well, we need to preach the truth, but we got to do it in love. See, a bold church, what they'll do is they'll preach on controversial issues, but they'll do it with grace, and they'll do it with the truth of God's Word. That's what a bold church does. Uh, safe, kind of timid churches, they avoid change until it's too late. Every church has like a life cycle to it, right? It's birth. Every church has a birthday. Every church was at one time a church plant. You know that, right? Someone started that church. Someone started this church. And they start out, and they start reaching folks, and they grow, and then usually what happens is they kind of plateau out somewhere, and then they, they wait, and they start to decline. And then they get close to death, and then someone goes, oh, maybe we should change some stuff around here. And it's just too late at that point. What bold churches do is they embrace changing methods all that they're constantly saying, what should we do different to reach people we're not currently reaching to disciple people more fully? That's what bold churches do. Safe churches, man, they, they're fearful of other churches. They're afraid that they might indoctrinate our people to believe something different than what we believe. We can't partner with people that don't believe like we believe, but a bold church believes that the Spirit is working, believes that we're not the only church that's going to be in heaven one day. You know that, right? Believes that we can partner together to advance the kingdom of God within the communities where he's planted us. And safe churches, they kind of have limited influence because they stay in the building and they don't really influence much. But a bold church, they're just sent out everywhere they go and they have dramatic influence in the community. I want you to be a bold church. And the early church was a bold church and that's the church we're called to be. Four characteristics of a bold church that I want to share with you from Acts chapter 3, verse, chapter 4 as well. Chapter 3 and chapter 4. The first characteristic, if you're taking notes, write this down, that we're going to see in Acts 3 is this. Bold churches draw attention and they create expectation. They draw people's attention. They're not afraid to say, give us your attention. Look at what God is doing here. They're constantly creating expectation. And they really do this in three ways. They draw, they draw their attention to God first. And then they, they draw people's attention to them. That's kind of crazy. We think we're going to go straight to just, hey, look at God. But no, what a bold church does is say, hey, look at us. We can help you. And then they turn people's attention towards Jesus. You're going to see it in this text today. They draw attention and they create expectation. Here's what the text says in Acts chapter 3, 1 through 6. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Sorry, KJV lovers today. Peter and John, it says. This is the day after the day of Pentecost. Peter and John, they went to the temple one afternoon to partake in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Now catch this. I love this. Bold churches focus on prayer. Bold churches minister out of the place of prayer. I mean, imagine what Peter and John could have been thinking. That just like the day before, the Holy Spirit had showed up, poured out on Peter's preaching. He preaches and 3,000 people are saved. Peter could have got, man, we got a 3,000-member church overnight. I, ain't nobody got time to pray. I got too much to manage and know what Peter does on the backside of having the, the most powerful revival service basically ever. He goes, we got to go pray. Three o'clock, we're going to pray because we got to hear from the Lord. Bold churches, they start with prayer. And so they're, they're headed to the prayer service and they're expecting that when they pray, something is going to happen and it does. Verse 2 says, as they approached the temple... A man who had been born lame was carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful, so that he could beg from the people going into the temple. 
When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked them for some money. And I love Peter and John's response. They don't beat the guy up for saying, hey, you want something from us? You're just out to get something from us. No, they look at this man and they give him their attention. Bold churches stop. They see these as opportunities to share Christ and they give that person their attention. And they create some expectation in this guy. Look at this. It says, Peter and John looked at the man intently. This wasn't just a passing glance. It wasn't like, hey, buddy, here's some coins. No, it was intent focus on what this man's real needs were. That's what bold churches, they give their attention to God first, and then they turn their attention to the real deep needs of the people that they come into contact with. And they give this man their attention. And then Peter has the audacity to call for an even more focused attention from this man. Look at this. Peter said to the man, look at us. Give us your attention. We have something to offer you. They engage. They're not afraid to ask. You know, in, the, in church world, we call this the attractional model of church. And there's some folks out there that kind of think that you shouldn't do attractional church. You know, don't do big parties and celebrations. Don't do big outreaches. You know, people are going to get saved for the wrong reason. Hang on. People are going to get saved. For the, no, people are going to get saved. God can use any motive to transform someone's life. It's not your motive that saves you. It's the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And they're not afraid to ask for attention. I love you guys. You guys do this so well. You run ministries to help people dealing with addiction. You run ministries to support families. You say, look at us. We can help you have a stronger family. Look at us. We can help you find hope in Jesus Christ. You can experience freedom from addiction in your life. Look at us. Give us your attention because we can offer the real solution to your deepest need. And it's found in Jesus. Look at us, they say. They create expectation. They ask for attention. It says the lame man, he looked at them eagerly expecting some money. Now, sometimes folks expect something other than what they're going to get. He's expecting some money. I love this. This irreligious person expects people of faith to offer something that will help him at his point of need. Think about that. This irreligious person expects these religious people to offer something that will meet his deep point of need. He was expecting something different than what he receives, but he came expecting. I think the church should create that kind of expectation. But then Peter looks at him and he says, I don't have any silver or gold to give you, but I'll give you what I have, the most important thing this man needs. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And the man instantly, we're told, was strengthened. He was healed. He was restored in that moment. I see churches that are bold. They ask for people's attention. They expect God to move and work in people's lives. I, I just saw this three weeks ago. We, we had a church on the district that was going through a difficult time. They were on the backside of that life cycle. They closed the doors of the church. There was no one left around there. It was like one family that wanted to see something happen. And so we began praying, God, would you bring a leader that might feel called to this community to see a new church develop in this place? And we met this young couple, Josh and Jill Hare. They've got two young children, a son and a daughter. They're like two and three years old. And they answered the call of God to move from Kansas to move to Largo in the middle of a global pandemic in May. And they began knocking on doors, and they began paying for people's laundry at the laundromat. 
They began serving in the, in the kids' schools uh, where his wife was working, and they began building relationships and networking in the community, holding outreach events in city parks and ministering to the homeless. And, and in a few weeks, they had like a dozen people that were helping them with this church. And a couple months later, now they got like 30 people. I ran into a friend of mine that was in my youth group back when I pastored in Illinois who had just moved to Largo. And I said, man, are you going to church? He said, no. I said, there's this great church. You need to meet him. He's helping lead worship there now. God's doing a work in his life. Three weeks ago, after sending out a bunch of invitations, asking for people's um, attention through like direct mail, Facebook, and their events that they did, they had 202 people join them for worship on their grand opening Sunday. The church should ask for people's attention and create expectation. This is what a bold church does. The second thing that a bold church does is they seize divine opportunities to share Christ. They recognize God's already at work. He's creating opportunities. We just have to have the eyes to see where God is calling us to be salt and light. Verse 7 says this, Then... Peter took the lame man by the right hand. He reaches out and he touches the guy. You know, if you really want to see life transformation, I think you've got to get up close and personal with people. I think you've got to get engaged in their life. And Peter says, you know, I'm not too busy to get engaged in your life. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I know I was headed here, but now I'm going to give my attention here. And he reaches out and he actually makes contact with this guy and engages with him. He says he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and his ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Now, what do you do when the Lord heals you from years of being lame and unable to walk? What's, what's your response going to be to this? I mean, maybe you get excited and you go home, but that's not what this guy does. He stands up and he starts putting it to the test. We, we see this and he stands up and he's like, oh, that feels pretty good. Says he, he stood up, he jumped up, he stood to his feet and he begins to walk, but he doesn't just walk. He's like, lame man walking, this is great, but I'm going to test this. It's like he starts running around the temple courts and now he's running around. You know, right with someone running around in church, they used to do that back in the day. We don't do that so much anymore. He's running around in church, and then it, they can't hold this guy back. He starts jumping in church. Some of you are getting nervous. I'm going to start, you know, getting kind of nuts here. That's what this guy does, and it draws some attention. He, he can't hold back what God has done in his life and celebrating and praising God. And it says that all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God, and then they, they realized that he was the lame. But they're like, hang on, that's the lame beggar. That guy can't walk. And they were astounded. And they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's Colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. And then catch these words. And then Peter. Peter saw his opportunity. And he began to share Jesus with them. Let me ask you. Do you have eyes to see the opportunities that God is creating for you? Peter saw it. Do you see it in your neighborhood, in your workplace, around your church? Do you have eyes to see the That's what a bold church does, eyes to see the opportunity. I believe we have opportunity every day to share Christ if our eyes are open to it. I was meeting with a, a church not too long ago, and we were walking through their pastoral review process. And, uh, as we began to talk, they, they were a little discouraged. They hadn't reached more people in their neighborhood. Uh, it's my friend Luke Benjamin's church up in Jacksonville. And Luke pastors a, a Caribbean, kind of African-American mixed congregation. But the, the neighborhood where the church is at is actually surrounded by a pretty Anglo-white neighborhood. 
Someone in the room, I won't say who, someone in the room said, you know, I think one of the challenges we face is just, you know, we're, we're kind of a black church and we're in a white neighborhood. I'm just not sure that, that we have much opportunity. And, and Luke took the opportunity to say, no, I think the Lord wants us to reach everyone. And, you know, no one's going to say no to that. And they say, yeah, I think you're right. He says, here's what we feel like the Spirit's calling us to do. We're going to move. They live 30 minutes south of the church. He says, we're going to move into the neighborhood. Move our family, change our kids' schools. We're going to move into the neighborhood, and we're going to start to get to know the neighbors around this church. He started knocking on doors. Do you know that there were people that wanted to talk to Luke? You know there were people that wanted to talk to him about Jesus. When he brought up Jesus, they said, come in and hang out with me. Here, I got a picture of a guy named Michael that he knocked on Michael's door in the neighborhood. You got Michael's picture? There's Michael. Luke knocked on Michael's door, and Michael was lonely. Michael hadn't had anyone visit him in the midst of the pandemic. And he was hungry for relationship. Luke sat down, and they spent time talking together. He shared the gospel with him. God is doing a work. As they knocked on doors of people, they started doing these drive-in services, and and the church that was running 30 had 50 people show up for their drive-in service at Christmas. God has all kinds of opportunities if we'll stop making excuses and open up our eyes to where he is at work and join him in his work. But that means being bold in the power of the Spirit. Bold churches, they seize the opportunities, they have their eyes open. The third thing that I see is this, is they face opposition, but they grow anyway. You know, it'd be nice to think that if you seize the opportunities God had for you, everyone would be like, well, that's really great. We're so thrilled to see what's happening here. But you know as well as I do that if you start doing what God calls you to do, there are going to be folks that oppose what you're doing. Church starts making changes, and probably not here, but in other churches, you know, this kind of thing happens, right? Church starts changing service times and changing ministries. And we go, well, I liked it the way it was. Well, that's great. It was good for you. But there's a bunch of people it wasn't working for. Can we find a way to make personal sacrifice, to lay our lives down, our preferences down, to help people find life in Christ? So they face some opposition, but they grow anyway. Look at this. Chapter 4 now, verse 1. It says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, so they're in Solomon's Colonnade, and they're speaking to the people about Jesus, it says there was con- confrontation, and they were confronted by the priests. Look at this. Notice the religious leaders are the ones that have the issue here. Now, Brad, preachers in the room, sometimes we blame God's people. When, you know, we try to take some territory, and like, ah, it's the people that are opposed. Did you notice in this story? It's the religious leaders that were opposed. Holy Spirit, search my heart. See if there's anything in me that's preventing your people from being fully released into their calling in Christ. Search my heart. It's a sad state that sometimes it's the religious leaders that stand in the way. Oh, God help us. The leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there was a resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them. Since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. And we like to think that we face persecution for being a Christian sometimes here in in North America. 
you know as well as I do that the persecution we face is nothing compared to what's happening around the world where people are being beheaded, placed in prison, not able to worship freely. And yet it's in those very places where the church is growing the strongest and lives are being transformed at the highest rate. It might be that we need to pray, Lord, allow us to face some difficulty. Allow us to face some adversity because it is there that it drives us to dependence upon God. So many, so many leaders have seen God do significant things, have had to embrace persecution and suffer through it. Lord, allow us to do so. The story I'm going to share is not that level of persecution. It's just I know that sometimes you face difficulty when you do what God calls you to do. My wife and I, we both grew up around the church, but we spent several years away from God. And when God transformed our lives, he broke our hearts for people that had given up on God or given up on the church. I would put it this way, people who had church pain and church hurt. We wanted to create a safe space for them to find their way back to God and to begin to trust the church again. And so we planted a church in 2005 called Bridgeway Community Church. And we began doing church in kind of non-traditional ways. We met in a movie theater. We'd set up and tear down every week. We didn't have an organ. In fact, in our advertising, we said, you know, this isn't your grandma's church. I'm sorry, grandma's. I apologize. And, and we commented that we're going to be led by our rock band. And, and, you know, we got letters. And we got phone calls. And they were people that were from the church that didn't like that. I got a 15-page diatribe from a guy about why the organ is the only worship instrument you should use in church. I kid you not, I've held on to it to this day. It's quite incredible. We called about 10,000 households with dial-up phone calls and got yelled at and cursed at by people for telemarketing the church. But I had 300... Con- and you're like, some of you are probably thinking, well, you shouldn't call people and invite them to church. No, you should. One of the gals I talked to is this gal here. Her name's Shelly Williams. I've got a picture of her and her family. There's Shelly. She's on the right side of the screen there. She's one of the happiest people I know. When, when we called Shelly and I followed up with her, her family had been disconnected from church and from God for some time. They were going through a difficult time. Allie, their oldest daughter, was dealing with a deep season of depression in her life. And they were kind of at their, their wits' ends, didn't know what to do. I had a chance to pray with her and invite her to church. And she and her daughters began attending the church About a year later, her husband was the plant manager for Caterpillar's largest plant, their original plant number one in Peoria, Illinois, oversaw about 1,200 employees. And about a year in, he started coming to church. He'd played golf on Sunday, then he quit playing golf to come to church with his family. About a year after that, he got saved, and then he was baptized. And then about two years later, he took an early retirement in order to become the multiplication and leadership development director at the church. And today there's 13 churches that exist because he helped that church to be more fully on mission and release the people of God into God's call on their life. The young man that was on the left side of the screen graduated from NBC and was ordained as a minister in the Church of the Nazarene just two years ago. I'm telling you, push through opposition. Share the gospel. Don't worry if folks get a little bit offended because those kind of lives matter and the fruit of their lives matter. So bold churches, they face opposition, but they grow anyway. The, the, the last thing on this is that bold churches are full of ordinary people who have been with Jesus. There, there's nothing special about bold churches. There's nothing special about the folks that are there. They're just ordinary people like you and I 
who have spent time with Jesus and have been empowered by God's Spirit and live obediently. So Peter and John are in jail. They pull him out the next day and they put him on trial and they start questioning them. They're like, by what authority did you heal this man? In whose name did you do this? And Peter and John, they, they step up and Peter begins to preach and he says, listen, if we're being called into account for a kindness that was shown to a man who was lame, then know this. It's by the name of Jesus Christ, who you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. There's boldness in this. Now watch what gets said next in verse 13 of chapter 4. The members of the council were amazed when they saw, what's the word? The boldness, the courage when they saw the boldness and courage of Peter, it says this, they were amazed because they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They hadn't went to rabbinical school, and yet they spoke with an authority that was beyond anything any of their religious leaders had spoken with. I love the, the word here in Greek. I don't usually quote Greek in my sermons. I've done it twice today, and I apologize, but it's just so good. It says that they could see that they were ordinary men. The word for ordinary men here in Greek is idiotes. <laughs> yes, it, it means what you think it means. <laughs> they were amazed because they're like, these guys are idiots. <laughs> and yet they've got authority. You know, if God can use a, an idiot, I've got to think he can use you and me, Right? Some of you, your spouses are like, he can use you. No. <laughs> oh, that's a good word. The difference maker. Here's the difference maker. He rec they recognized they were unschooled, ordinary men, idiotes. But here it is. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. There it is. It's the difference maker. They spent time with Jesus, and he had transformed and changed their lives, and the Spirit had filled them and empowered them. So I want to give you four just kind of bold choices you can make as a part of the church. The church is the people of God. It's not a building. It's not an organization. You are the church. So what can you do to be a bold church? Four things that I see in this passage that I want to challenge you towards. One, in this, in this next season, because as you burn this mortgage, you're entering a brand new season. This is a new chapter that's turning in the history of this church. I want to challenge you as you enter this new season, invite people boldly. God is drawing people to himself. I sat in ministerial interviews yesterday. I think there was like four of them that were interviewing that came from the church here. You guys are, are developing the next generation of, of church leaders. And as we sat with people and we listened to their stories of salvation, out of those that are being ordained, four of them told us the way they came to faith was they were, they were going through a dark, depressing season in their life. They came to faith as adults. They were walking down the street. They were in a park. They were in a grocery store. And someone that loved Jesus stopped them and said, I just want to let you know today that God loves you and he has a plan for you. Some version of that. And they invited them to church. And that invitation changed the trajectory of their story. Four out of seven, folks. All around you are opportunities. Invite those you find to know the love of God that comes in Jesus Christ and that he has a plan and purpose for them. Invite boldly. If you don't invite people, here's what happens. You start thinking the church is for you rather than for others. If you don't invite people, you forget what it was like to be new to a church for the first time. 
But do you remember how scary it is to pull up in a church parking lot and wonder to yourself, what door do I go in if you've got kids? Can I trust them with my kids? Um, when do I stand? When do I sit? But if you invite people and you've got someone you love and care about coming and you're expecting, you are eyes wide open to like how the church is doing it, greeting and welcoming. You're guiding and you're directing. And then even if you don't have someone with you that week, your eyes are open for the person that looks lost. When you start inviting people, lives are transformed. I want to encourage you in this next season, invite boldly. Don't worry about rejection and don't worry about turning someone off to faith. Do you really think you have that much power in someone's life? Don't you believe that God is greater than anything that you could do? That God is already at work in their life drawing them? Don't worry. Secondly, I challenge you to serve boldly in this next season, to serve boldly. Set aside at least an hour every week to serve as a part of your church's work in the community or in the church. Sit a service and serve a service. And I, I know some of you are like, man, I'm just busy. I, just, I need you to know. You are served every weekend by very busy people. Every weekend. The folks that serve here, if they're anything like the folks that serve the churches that I've been a part of, they are very busy people. It's not that they don't have anything better to do. But they're very busy, but they want to see people find life in Christ, and so they serve. You know, in the scriptures, this isn't my sermon, but you know that it is now. Um, you know, the only people that really see what's happening in the miracles, in Jesus' miracle stories, are those that serve. Jesus' first miracle of the water into wine. No one knew what really happened except the servants. Go look for it in the text. If you really want to see what's happening here, the real miracles that are happening, it only happens when you serve. It only happens when you serve. Serve boldly. You know, Peter and John, I just got to tell you, Peter and John, they spent a night in prison. And we're, we're scared to spend an hour in preschool ministry holding babies, you know? <laughs> Come on, we can do this. All right. I'm, I'm talking like a preacher and not like a superintendent right now. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm gonna, you're never going to invite me back again. Well, especially this next one. Would you give boldly? <laughs> Would you give boldly? Would you live sacrificially and give boldly? We heard it. This, this mortgage was paid off. We got to burn this piece of paper today that represented the mortgage. We got we to do that because people gave boldly and sacrificially. Could you imagine what would happen if every follower of Christ that calls us their church home just trusted Jesus the way that the scriptures instruct us to with our finances? If we just said, you know, God, I'm going to honor you first with the, with the tithe and then offerings as you call me to, I guarantee you would never have to borrow money again if we would do that. When God calls you to start a ministry, you'd never have to borrow money to get that. Or you'd never have to say, oh, we can't do that because we don't have the resource. You would have more than enough to do everything that God calls you to do as a church. The early church, Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and you say, well, where are you getting this from? Well, Acts 4, 32 this is what bold churches do. Here it is. It says, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions as their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's grace. It's God's grace. So please hear this. When I ask you to give boldly, don't do it because I ask you to. Do it in response to God's grace in your life. Look at this. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Why? 
because from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them. And they brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to those who had need. It was God's grace was so powerfully at work that people said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. And that's why I saved this last one for last. I challenge you to pray boldly in this next season. To pray boldly in this next season. God's grace was so powerfully at work that people just did what the Lord asked them to do. I'm convinced that if we'll pray boldly, the Spirit will speak and we'll have eyes to see and ears to hear where He's opening opportunities to invite people. And I'm convinced that if we'll prioritize prayer, personal prayer and corporate prayer as a church, if we'll prioritize those things, the Spirit, God's grace, will move people to serve. It was His grace that moved me to surrender my life to offer it as a sacrifice out of his deep love, out of his redemption. How, how in the world could, could we hold back after he's given all for us? And if you'll pray, you'll live in that grace. You'll never forget that grace. You just lay it down over and over and over again because you believe in that grace. That amazing grace. Oh, that others would know that grace. Would we, would we go to prayer and do whatever the Spirit asks us to do? I get a sense this morning that there might be someone here this morning that the Lord's been talking to you about laying it all down in a response to His grace kind of been holding back and I'm not talking about money and I'm not talking about something I'm talking about your life but in a response to his grace would maybe today be the day where you just surrender lay it all down I get a sense there's someone here that you've been resisting a call to ministry to leadership in the church and you're scared I mean I gotta have it all figured out I got I don't know theology real well ordinary idiots guys that's what they were that have been with Jesus. Oh, would you lay it down today? Would you lay it down today? Let me, let me pray for you. Spirit, we recognize that you're here today. Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. Oh, that we would spend time with your son and listen to your spirit's voice be conformed to your son's likeness. Father, today as I reflect on this passage for myself, search my heart as, as a called leader in your church. Would you convict me of any place where the way that I'm leading and living is creating a barrier to those who have been empowered by your spirit to live as salt and light? Spirit, would you search our hearts today? If you're calling us to a new level of surrender, let us know that that's possible and that the life of obedience is far greater and far more full of joy than any life holding on to what we have. I just want to ask you, man, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I know it's kind of a churchy thing to say. It's all right, we're in church. 
if you're here and the Spirit is asking you to lay down your life to a new level of surrender, maybe it's in an area, but maybe it's everything today, would you just lift your hand and say, yeah,